Hi, this is Jason Stein, and welcome to the Wellness Renegade podcast. We'll explore the crossroads of wellness entrepreneurs like you and me who are committed to making money while living healthier lives. People who are going up against big pharma, insurance conglomerates, and the mainstream medical model. We'll be journeying into the challenges and the breakthrough it takes to own your own business, pave the path through mainstream medical care, and truly become a wellness renegade. Our sponsor today is JNAP, and JNAP's an all-in-one practice management software designed to help streamline your acupuncture and wellness practices. If you need a helping hand, you have access to unlimited phone, email, and chat support included in Jane subscriptions. Now, these aren't just words I'm saying. I'm also a Jane subscriber, and it's what we use for our wellness center. If you're interested in learning more, head over to janeapp.com or use the code wellnessrenegade and sign up for a one-month grace period to apply to your new account. I am very excited because today, one of my longest friends and door opener, Dr. Ken Weiser, <clears throat> I've watched Ken Weiser open up doors at Nike, at Providence Health Systems out in the Northwest, <clears throat> and many other places. Ken is a naturopath as well as a hiker. And I invited him on the show today because not many people that get a cancer diagnosis goes to a doctor that has had cancer. And most people that are treating patients aren't treating patients who have been given an expiration date or a terminal diagnosis. So welcome, Ken. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for inviting me. Only for you would I do this. I know that you don't do interviews anymore. This is fantastic because how many cancer patients do you think you've treated in the decades you've been practicing? Oh my God, thousands and thousands. I don't know how many. Yeah, so many, thousands. And how many of them, just a percentage guesstimate, do you think were given by a doctor like a life expectancy timeline? Well, by percentage, uh, 100%. <laughs> hundred percent. So yeah. when you get cancer, part of the cancer diagnosis is the prognosis. And part of the prognosis sometimes is letting cancer patients know they're not going to make it. Or how does that go? Well, you know, that's one of the first things that everybody wonders. Okay, I got the big C. So how long have I got? So most people want to hear I've got a normal lifespan. So that's their prognosis. But unfortunately, quite a few people do not hear that. They hear five years, four years, three years, two years, one year, six months, one month. Whoa, what's a what's a one month cancer? Like we, we know you don't do that, but what would that look like? Like it's just stage four and it's metastasized everywhere or yeah, somebody's really got advanced disease. There's nothing they can do. It's it's sorry, go home, get your affairs in order, 
this is going to be quick kind of thing. Can you share a personal story without revealing any uh, personal data on a patient that was given a very short life expectancy that may still be alive today or definitely beat the odds of what was told to them? Yeah, there's a person right now that is in that situation. And I, I think this person is, a, uh, I don't know, could be used as a metaphor, I guess, or an amalgam of other patients too, is, you know, sometimes people are really in bad shape and they get the worst prognosis, which is, hey, we can't do anything, go home, this will be quick. And they don't accept that. So they find the way into the clinic. And what I say to them is, I don't know, let's try. And what you generally find is these people are often, well, always incredibly stressed and often malnourished and panicked. And frankly, a lot of times just taking a lot of supplements or doing radical diets and they're not they're not in a sense treating the person and they're not supporting themselves. So this lady I saw recently is exactly in that situation where they said, eh, we can't do anything, go home, thanks, bye. And she came in and she said, I can't accept that. And she had lost, uh, I think 40 pounds in the last three months. Wow. Cause she had gone on a radical diet. She's taken tons of supplements. And I said, well, here's an idea. Let's try and feed you and stabilize your weight and get you stronger and find a doctor who's willing to treat you. And she's just, Hey, that's what I want. And so a fair amount of times when you see that people make a turnaround and they get healthier and they get stronger and they get appropriate treatment and their prognosis and outcome is completely different than what they've been told. Nice. So I am curious. I have so many questions. Oh, good. Yeah, go for it. Okay. One of them is like, I just, I'm making an assumption, but I assume oncologists that have never had a cancer diagnosis for themselves personally probably have a completely different perspective than you do as someone who has gone through the cancer pathway. And if that is true in your mind, what do you think some of the basic differences are between you and, and your fellow colleagues that haven't had cancer? Well, that's a really, really good question. Nobody's ever actually asked me that or put it that way. So that is definitely my assumption. Um, and it's neither good or bad. There's lots of fantastic, amazing, brilliant, compassionate oncologists. And from my point of view, it's different. It's different being in the club than not being in the club. And so for me, it's completely non-negotiable to just see the lump in the bump, to just see the cancer. I have to see the person. I have to see the cancer dance. I have to see the journey. I have to see the humanity of it. I have to see the suffering and the triumphs of it. I just have to relate to them as a human. And I have to listen to their story. And I have to support their body, mind, and spirit 
and they know that and there's some kind of simpatico thing that happens that they feel and they respect and i think it changes it i think it changes the communication and the dialogue and um it's important for me and i i think it's important for a lot of patients i've had a fair amount of patients say to me you know i wanted to see you because you're a cancer survivor and i just know it was going to be different and it is so it is a qualitative and quantitative difference the new stats on cancer i think one out of two um, people are going to get cancer in their lifetime according to stats um, is that what you're seeing well i i have a skewed demographic of course so you know but generally what you see in history is from one in a hundred to one in 50 to one in 20 to one in 10 to one in five to one in three to one in two and a half and now maybe one in two so that that's definitely been the overall historical trend and so uh, i'm very curious what are just a few simple steps that people could do to avoid or be more preventative of cancer, like just to be healthier overall? What, what, what are a few things that you wish the general public would uh, take on? Yeah, well, as uh, commonsensical as it sounds and as much as people hurt, hear it is avoid tobacco use. It's still the number one cause of cancer, um, you know, lung cancer at worldwide, and it's mostly preventable. So don't smoke. Uh, if you smoke, then what you should do is every time you take a cigarette, you should flip a coin because you have a 50% mortality with, with um, smoking. So 50% chance you're going to die of smoking-related illness. Um the other things are do the basics. It's astonishing how many people don't do the basics. Eat a good omnivorous Mediterranean whole foods diet. Move your body, move your body, move your body, and do your mental, emotional, spiritual hygiene. Live your best life. And, you know... I know that sounds too obvious, but it just astounds me that so many people don't take care of themselves. Yeah. And they don't do the basic stuff and it doesn't work. You can't you can't you're not a car that you wait until it crashes and you take it to the mechanic. You're you're a human that needs regular daily maintenance, body, mind, and spirit. So do it in a way that works for you. And and the older you get, the more important that becomes and the less wiggle room you have. Yeah. And and so I'm just super curious on working with people that are their body's kind of attacking itself. They've been given this diagnosis. There's so many emotions that are going on. You are the person that I know that has been to the most funerals uh, that I know personally, that has been like to many funerals. I think that you're helping 
hundreds, if not thousands, and that not everyone lives. <laughs> and so how do you handle that as a physician? How do I handle the, the patients dying and going to funerals? Yeah. Um, I give it my all while they're alive. And it's so rewarding to do that. And I know that everyone gets sick at some point and or everyone dies. And so I give it my all and I engage with them and they give it their all. And so there's some peace in that. Um, and I think for most patients is that they live better you know they live better we each they contribute to my life and i contribute to their life and there's a rewardingness there i know that's not a word so i know it sounds kind of odd but in a way it's okay and to go to funerals when i'm asked or to honor that person um it's a beautiful sad celebratory thing it's kind of all the emotions put together and then i gotta keep it i gotta be as sharp as i can be for the next person mm -hmm. um and and i think really the honest an honest part of it is just feeling it whatever i feel if i miss that person i miss them and i miss them fully and um I don't know. It's it's a hard question to answer, but there's I there's sort of a strange okayness and beauty to it, and it's there's an acceptance and a celebration to it. So I'm I'm kind of talking around it, but yeah, I get it. But it's also like I I like the acceptance part because you know we don't get to control uh it's an interesting topic in some ways we can add to our life by doing certain things but we don't get to say when the expiration is that definitely seems to be true yeah. <laughs> and so you're coming up on retirement probably five years or less i i don't know and so this longevity of being in this cancer world for so long and being on the natural medicine side of it uh, how are you feeling about AI and the next generation of practitioners? Uh, I, I believe in I, not AI. I believe in intelligence, not in artificial intelligence. Nice. I mean, you know, there's so much technology now. Medicine is to so technological and the the single biggest complaint I hear from many patients is that doctors look at computers and don't look at them and don't listen to them and don't talk to them. Yeah. So it's for me, you know, I'm in my 25th year and it's exactly the same of somebody comes into my room and I'm a human being, they're a human being, we're connected. I do my best to listen. I want to hear their story. I give them the best I can. That's intelligence. It's not, there's no artificialness in the 
doctor-patient relationship at all. There can't be any artificialness, especially in the cancer dance, because that's when the rubber hits the road. That's that's the reality. And as far as, you know, treatment algorithms, I don't know. You know, I mean, that's not the way I work. That's not the way, in in a sense, natural medicine works. It's It's really individual. And so... I can't just phone it in or pull up an algorithm and say A equals B equals C. Here's your here's your natural pills. It's a lot more nuanced than that. Mm. So it 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 it's a very individual dance, and I I like that. That's what makes it amazing and fun and challenging. Part of this podcast is about not just the medicine side but the business side. And money in medicine is such an interesting thing because you got to make money to keep going, to make it sustainable. But it does feel like there's a lot of greed in the world of medicine. And so uh, I have a couple of questions in this vein. One is, um, how do you juggle money in medicine, like for you personally? Like you get paid to help people in medicine to help them because they're dying. And so um, any answers there? So the, the question is, how do I juggle money and medicine? And the answer is I don't. Mm. And that's my solution. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, when I had my private clinic, I was juggling money. I was paying rent. I was buying supplements. I was selling supplements. You know, I was, people were, were paying my business. And that was just sort of a regular, you know, single proprietor medical office. And that was, that was okay. But what I found is it took a lot of time and energy. And I didn't want to do that. And also, I was outside of the established structure and system. So what I wanted to do was be within the system so that patients would understand that it is truly integrative medicine, that I'm on the first floor, oncology is on the 11th floor, there are other doctors on the, are on the other floors, and that they can use their same insurance and all the doctors can refer and talk to each other. And also that I would have a complete structure that supported me doing what I wanted to do, which was walk in, look at charts, see patients all day, go home. Because mm. I wanted to give 100% to the patients. I didn't want to think about money be biased by money, worry about money. I just wanted to have it be a sort of regular job mm -hmm. and have the structure do what the structure is good at, which is providing structure. Okay, here's an office, here's a front desk, here's billing, here's, here's phone support, here's all that. So, you know, I, I didn't train in medical school to be a business owner. I trained to be a doctor and that's what I want to do. But unfortunately, very few naturopaths have that opportunity. I love the answer, but it does lead to that, which is 
whether it's a naturopath, acupuncture, chiropractor, body worker, homeopath, like uh, there's so few jobs in the mainstream medical model. First, why do you think that is? Because the medicine really works. I I think it's, there's many reasons, but here here's my answer and people aren't going to want to hear it. And, and my answer is the reason that it doesn't exist is because we haven't created it is the is the alternative medical community has not created it they they have this sort of dogmatic schism of you know my medicine their medicine good medicine bad medicine i'm i'm the healer they're the they're the allopathic doctors and i want to practice in a certain way and so i don't think in mass people have been trained or have the skills or think about connecting with and co-creating workable, sustainable, integrative clinics. It's not that hard to do, but I, I think people haven't tried or they don't know how, or they think they can't do it. And here, here's my idea. It's actually a win-win-win situation. It's what patients want. It's actually what the medical system wants and needs. It's what doctors want. And it's what we as, quote, alternative practitioners want. We want that support. So it's a win-win-win. So I think it's a huge opportunity for, pay for, for healthcare practitioners to conceptualize and to communicate with the structured medical community and integrate in there. And I would, I would challenge and invite people to do that. And I would challenge them by saying, Hey, I've done it and it works. And we started at Providence 21, 22 years ago with me, one person. And now we've got two clinics, six naturopaths, two other acupuncturists, four or five massage therapists, a chiropractor, and we are literally expanding as fast as they'll let us. Yeah. And because it's a win-win-win. And so you have to find that sweet spot. And part of that is getting your head around it and finding the right language. But really the, the basic question is healthcare, it's alternative Healthcare practitioners have to go to the established structure of medicine and ask a very simple question. How can I help you? Mm. How can I help you? That's what, that's the question. And then work within that. And that's what happened, happened at Providence. The breast cancer patients were desperate for alternative medicine. And so I hooked up with them and they hooked up with me and Providence said, yes, we want to do this because this is a win-win-win. So I, I know that's a kind of long answer, but. Well, it's a long know. answer and I agree with some of it and I disagree with some of it. So <laughs> I, I feel like uh, the way in which, uh, you know, this podcast is in the U.S. and in the U.S. there isn't socialized medicine. Um, so the private payer the premiums keep rising every year and the reimbursement for providers is shrinking because you have this third party. And so 
I believe what you're saying can work if the hospitals, the clinics, the wellness providers can come away from the third party insurance, which is just taking money. It's just like a third hand in the bowl that doesn't really provide a service, uh, but they're taking out of the bowl. <laughs> so my concern is there's already a nursing shortage. Um, and because reimbursement is falling in certain areas for wellness providers, what's the fallout going to be in the next 10 years for the bigger hospitals and bigger clinics? I think we're already seeing a lot of hospitals operating in the red. And so what is that going to mean in the future? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's I think your point is well taken. It's really what works. It's all about what works and every clinic and hospital system will be different. But but here's the deal is that as an alternative or integrative practitioner, you are adding value. You are bringing patients and income in. You are adding high touch, high value. So there are intangibles and tangibles yeah. that, that you bring in. And so you have to the conversation is not what doesn't work. The conversation is what works. And you start there. Yeah. And I can say as an acupuncturist 20 year plus years ago, I was in a hospital and it did work because if you're going to physical medicine and rehabilitation and it, whether it's pain or fertility or whatever the issue, whether it's naturopathic medicine, acupuncture medicine, Chinese medicine, uh, those integrations are super helpful for the patient. I think that the challenge is twofold. The first is money. The second is power. And the pharmaceutical companies, along with the health insurance companies, have more money and more power in the conversation than anyone else. And that's the conversation I think needs to change. I I would add something to that. And from my perspective, the number one thing is the human connection. Mm. You as a human committing to serve other humans and finding the other humans across the table in other uh, disciplines and treating them like human and ha and all three of you agreeing that we are going to serve the patient and then finding out what works. And that's how I see it happening is, is humans committing their hearts and minds to making it work. Yeah, there's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be naysayers. There's always going to be money and politics and power and egos and all that. But who cares? You know, that's all irrelevant because in my world, it's life or death. So it's not it's not an option to fail. It's just not. And so I have to keep veering to what works. And and I think there's some value in that because otherwise you fail. If you can fail, you will. But if you can't, I mean, if you literally can't fail, Think about that. What would you do? 
It's a great question. I, I think another great question is, are you willing to show up and serve, which is what you're talking about? And one of the things, because we've known each other for decades, that you've taught me is get ideas out of the idea phase by showing up and doing them and, and don't worry about the money right away. And it's really interesting because a, a metaphor of that is social media influencers. Most of them don't start with like, how am I going to make all this money? They go do something weird or wacky or individual on social media. They gain a following doing exactly what their purpose is to serve. And then people want to reward them for that. And I believe the same thing can happen in medicine, where if you have an idea to serve, whether it's a population or uh, creating a different model, and you don't worry about the money in the beginning, it it will work out. Yeah, I, out. I think that's really, really true. You know, if if the if the intention is I am of service, period. Then everything can come out of that, including the flexibility to fail. So the the best way to not fail is to fail is to, you know, make little failures and basically say, I am doing this. That didn't work. I'll do that. That didn't work. I'll do that. That didn't work. I'll do that. I mean, that's the process. It's not like you're going to get it the first time. Almost no one gets it the first time out. You got to figure out what works. But if you, if you have that commitment and intention, I am going to be of service, period, that'll be what drives you through and that's the joy of medicine it's not giving a pill it's it's the joy of human connection and being that healer being that doctor having that relationship and and going side by side with someone in their life through life and death and illness and joy and and suffering that's what it's all about and isn't that why people become doctors and acupuncturists and naturopaths? I mean, I'm guessing they don't do it primarily for ego or power or money. They do it to be of service. I think the best ones do. I agree with that. And yeah. I, I like what you're saying about failure because it's something that people are so afraid of. They don't take the risk. And you and I have known each other long enough to walk through many failures <laughs> for both of us. And that's been fantastic to, because you've really inspired me in life that trying things is okay. Failing is okay. Failing is a part of it. And so bringing that full circle, I'm wondering, what are you trying next? What's next for you? <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it's the way I see myself and my life is, is three words is into the new. I'm, I'm always going into the new, whether I'm a filmmaker before I was a doctor creating new things or being a doctor and creating new programs and systems and new therapies. I'm always going into the new of how do I learn more and enjoy my life and be of service in in richer ways not not like in a weird way of like i have to do more or better but it's it's the newness of it it's the it's like the always being alive 
you know, always being alive of in my body, mind, and spirits. And, you know, now it's about getting older and, you know, dealing with a different body and being in a different phase of life and accepting that. And, and it's just a beautiful thing. You know, it's, it's just a beautiful thing. I like it. I like it a lot. I'm going to finish the episode by sharing a story. It was about 25 years ago that uh, Ken Weiser, Dr. Ken Weiser came to my house, knocked on the door and said, get your acupuncture kit and come with me. And I was always open for an adventure. So I hopped in the car and I said, where are we going? And he took me to this house and it was on the third or fourth floor. And there was a family. And I don't know if they were Ukrainian or Russian. There was definitely a different language happening in the building um, and definitely in the apartment. And there was this little old woman on a bed in the living room that everybody was surrounded by. And Ken, I remember you looking at me and said, do your thing. <laughs> and I was very humbled because I had worked in hospice, but I'd never worked in someone's home. And it was a completely different experience in working with someone who was on the edge of their life, surrounded by family, surrounded by their own culture, surrounded by the love of their own home. And I was uh, moved to tears afterwards. I held it in while I treated and then uh, I went outside and just cried for a bit. And so I want to thank you for the numerous into the news that you've brought me into. I want to thank you, Dr. Ken Weiser, for being on this podcast. And if you're a listener, I just invite you, you know, comment, like, subscribe, share, and let's get this conversation about David versus Goliath in medicine going. So Ken, thanks for being here today. Thank you.